0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns so you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from rust
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full
3: terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everybody, I'm Kim Holderness. And I'm Penn
4: Holderness. You are listening to the Holderness Family Podcast, which is trying its best to be an example... Of success and not failure.
3: (laughs) We're talking about helping. Segway. We're talking about eight setbacks that can help make a child a success and what to do, what to say to turn failures into character-building moments with Michelle Icard.
4: We talk about this in our family all the time. We talk about it, not just personally, but with our kids, like the way to to take setbacks and and make them positives. But it's so interesting because we do sometimes use the word failure when we discuss it. And you don't like that word.
3: I struggle with it because I feel it, but that, that's just my definition. So Mich- Michelle's going to define what her definition of failure is, is mm-hmm. so different. And hers is a good one. Mine in my head, it's, you know, you, you've face planted and you're, you're down and out, but that's not really what her definition is.
4: So it, my definition is like, generally, like you're no good. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad she's coming on because yeah. we need we need her to set us straight.
3: Okay, just in general health keeping. Yeah. Friends, we are in most this is Penn's. This is Penn's book. I have a, a few notes from Kim's in it, but Penn is putting the finishing touches on this ADHD book he's writing and we cannot wait to get it out into the universe. You are going to love it. I love it. It's amazing. I'm so proud of Penn and how hard he's working on it.
4: Well, thank you. It's uh, it has been Does everyone calls this a labor of love, right? Mm -hmm. I have truly loved writing this book because for the last six or seven years, we've been putting content out very specific to ADHD because we found that it not only made me feel better, it made a lot of people out there feel better Mm -hmm. and more normal about what was going on in their brain. But I'd never really dug this deep to find out what exactly is going on inside this noodle of mine. Mm -hmm. And the first most overwhelming thing that I realized, just like I think we've been trying to purport in the videos is that I am not alone and no one is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is both a scientific and emotional, a chemical. There are a thousand ways to explain why this is going on and also how you can get the most out of it. And then finally, um, and this is a lot of Kim's influence. Kim has because she's our 30,000 foot looker has found a way to to present this information in a really fun format so well, i'm excited about that as well i
3: am excited and i will also say it's so nuanced right and a book is a perfect spot for that but i will say adhd is awesome but it's also terrible and awful and hard sure so nobody's nobody's getting off the hook or painting this as you know with a such a you know that it's this perfect pretty picture uh, it gets real well so. it, it's scary
4: and i think that learning about something that's scary makes you less scared of it and by the way uh if you didn't know If you look up awesome in the dictionary, the second definition is scary.
3: Mm -hmm. Also segue our game family faceoff is on the shelves at target yes. and it is it makes my entire day when when i see pictures especially little kids holding the family faceoff game and they found it in their target and it's like it's like our little game and it's on the shelves all over the country and it's it's yeah you can go to familyfaceoff.com and check it out find it it's also on amazon and send us a note
4: has it been a little terrifying for you as someone who's been such a target uh consumer and champion over the years to have something in the store like worried that people might or might not buy it
3: well of course if you make something and you put it into the universe and you just hope people like it but we've had such good feedback and the sales are doing great i know and which is we're excited about also you friends we have a line of pickleball paddles at sellkirk.com and we're also getting people sending us pictures of those i mean my, my whole heart we've been working so hard on this and it just makes me so happy anyway Let's get on to Michelle. Let's get on. Um, let's get on to why you clicked on this podcast. Yeah,
4: she just made some room for us after the Today Show. I mean, which is, I mean, that's. It was very nice to talk to her, and we're about to bring her on. She is a parenting expert and educator who has spent more than twenty years helping both adults and kids understand early adolescence. Her work, as we just said, has been featured on the Today Show, Washington Post, Time
3: and more our listeners may recognize michelle we spoke with her a couple years ago about navigating those awkward teen years and now she's back to talk with us about making mistakes and learning from them that's the focus of her new book eight set packs that can make your child a success what to do what to say to turn failures into character building moments welcome to the show michelle hi thank you for having me back well welcome back yeah And uh, we're so excited to talk about your book, Eight Setbacks That Can Make a Child a Success. Okay, what were you going to say? I'm already interrupting you.
4: It's fine. Okay. Go ahead. Maybe this is part of the things you could work on us with. Is there there a chapter on
3: interrupting? (laughs) I'm trying to be more aware of it.
4: You're great. No, I I was just going to say, let's get right to the archetypes of teens. I love this concept because we're we're obviously going to see this, like what we were like growing up. But in your book, you talk about these eight archetypes that sort of set up struggles for teens. Can you tell us about those?
2: I'd love to. So essentially, these are the eight ways that I see most teens fail at some point during adolescence. And parents may recognize their teen in one of these or more than one. Or you might say, oh, my teen is this one this month. And, you know, last month they were something else. But in general, they sound like this. So we have the rebel and that's the kid who fails to follow the rules the daredevil, the kid who fails to take care of their body, the misfit, and that's really the academic misfit. They're failing to perform well in school. The ego, I think almost every parent knows the ego from time (laughs) to time. The ego is the kid who fails to show concern for others, um, specifically their family members Mm -hmm. often. The loner who fails to connect with their peers, the sensitive one who fails to handle their feelings the black sheep who fails to get along with their family and the bench warmer who just fails to believe in themselves.
4: What were you, Kim? Uh
3: so I I I was prepared for this question. Yeah. And obviously. I, I don't I'm joking. No, no, no. I think my issue in high school, I may have been, I may have isolated myself a little bit out of a lack of self-confidence, but I was very much a rule follower. Mm-hmm. Um and I so I think I I think when in high school when I saw other kids you know breaking the rules staying out late sneaking out skipping school I may have I just was very not cool because I didn't do that and I was afraid to get in trouble so I don't I don't know which that falls in and probably not dealing with feelings probably what do you think
4: i was the sensitive one for sure like that was my issue and then once i got a hold of my feelings and got to college and everything was fine i became the ego probably (laughs) um but yeah i like i love so kim doesn't like being put into an archetype that's one thing i love about her that's her type we'll do another podcast on enneagrams about this where she doesn't like to be put in a in a topic but okay um, so um,
2: you're you're more of a generalist and i respect that (laughs) right some people are just like i'm a little bit of everything some people are real uh, funny about labels but i do think from a teen's perspective, sometimes labels can be a comfort because it's yeah. like, oh, you see me, I fit here, this feels good to understand myself a little bit better. Okay,
3: so talk to us about how those archetype knowing your archetype or your child's archetype would help them navigate setbacks in their life experience.
2: Yeah. So I think um there are a couple things that that experts say are sort of the key to a happy, healthy childhood, and that is feeling safe and feeling seen. And I think the feeling seen part of it really works well here with these archetypes. It's not that I want parents to brand their kids like, boy, you're the rebel of the family and your sister's really the sensitive one of the family. I'm not looking for that. But I do want to give parents insight into how to see their child for the phase that they're in. It's usually some kind of a phase. Um, And then learn some skills to help them not get stuck there, not have that be the headline of their childhood, Mm -hmm. but be able to kind of process through that and move on. Because these archetypes represent really normal ways that all kids struggle.
3: Yeah. And so I guess before we get too deep into this, we need to define the setbacks and failures. How do you define a failure? Right. So the way I'm thinking of it is it's when a child
2: experiences a feeling that leaves them unmoored, they feel maybe unaccepted, or they even are questioning their own worth, which sounds like you would want to avoid that like the plague, right? You would not want your kid to have those feelings. And the argument I'm making in the book is that learning how to cope with those feelings, you have to have those feelings first, then you figure out how to cope with them that's what helps kids cross the threshold from childhood to adulthood. And we know this universally, historically, sociologically, there's a ton of research on this. Like if you think of every coming of age story you've ever liked, whether it's Star Wars or um, Stand By Me or, you know, just think of one that you love. A kid has to reach a point where they're like, I need to separate from my group. I need to experience some isolation, some independence. I'm going to walk down those railroad tracks and find a dead body. I'm going to (laughs) go off and fight the rebels, whatever it is, right? They have to separate. They have to feel alone and isolated. And in that experience, they learn something about themselves. They come back to the community and they make the community better for what they've learned So these feelings that sound scary that are related to failure are really a launching pad for becoming a better adult.
4: In theory, this sounds amazing. Um, It seems to me like a couple of things have to happen in order for this to work. One of them is parents not getting in the way of this process. You know what I mean? Like letting your children go out onto the train tracks or letting your children maybe potentially be miserable and alone sometimes. How much of a challenge is your message and your coaching um, keeping parents from uh, influencing this process when they probably shouldn't be?
2: I love that you asked me this question because you're exactly right. That is one of the biggest obstacles for kids getting better. So parents will do one of two things here that can that can destroy this really natural process one is they try to make things too easy they're like my poor kid shouldn't have to suffer or you know they weren't invited to that birthday party so i'm gonna call the other parents and make sure that they get invited And then that kid goes to that birthday party and they are miserable because everyone's giving them the side eye there the whole time. It's not that that's never the answer. So trying to make the path really easy for your kid is actually probably going to create some more pain either Mm -hmm. immediately or down the road. Or I don't want parents to hear a message like this and think, well, I better wake my kid up at 5 a.m. to start digging ditches outside, (laughs) make their life sort of traumatically hard for no reason there's a real sweet spot right in the middle if parents can talk to their kids about how they feel, but they don't have to manufacture the situation.
3: And failing in that way is like an exercise. By the way, I am such – so Penn is right. I do not love to be – I don't love a label and archetype and enneagram. I resist, and that's part of my enneagram, right? That I just I resist. I just resist being kind of categorized. But I do see the comfort in being able to identify with that. So, I guess I just want to know. So, if you say fail, failing, which I like, I'm using air quotes. Let's call it a setback. If you say setbacks, kind of exercise that muscle. There has to be something we. We need to be able to guide them as parents. I'm not saying mow over the problems and call the other kids and get them invited to the party. But we have to be able to provide guardrails, right? We do need to be there for them. It's our the, the life is going to
2: provide all the setbacks. We don't have to do that. We should be a soft place for them to land and we should be really great coaches through the setback. So the book covers three sort of essential steps that I hope every parent will kind of walk through with their kid regardless of the setback they're facing. And the parents I talked to for this book, some of them had kids who had sort of subtle setbacks and some were really shocking, awful, scary setbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, But this process is the same no matter what. So I want them to contain the problem resolve the problem and evolve on from the problem. That's usually the hardest part for parents to leave it alone and say, okay, this bad thing happened without revisiting it over and over to make sure your kid really learned from it and they aren't going to do it
3: again. So those three steps in that order. So walk us through that. What does that look like? Let's let's invent a let's invent a problem. Your kid Uh, didn't make the team and they'd been practicing and practicing and they didn't make the team. And I don't know what, yeah. So help us walk us through that.
2: Sure. So we could say maybe this kid is feeling like, Oh, I'm a failure. I thought I was going to do well. And why even bother to try since Mm -hmm. I tried so hard here and it didn't happen. So maybe you feel like they're going to kind of venture into the bench warmer territory Mm -hmm. here where they're like, I just see myself riding the bench and I shouldn't even work hard anymore um and so contain for that is probably a, a lot of conversation. Some of these examples will take real action. If your kid is binge drinking, mm-hmm. you're not just going to have a healthy chat about it, right? But th- for this one, then it's probably a conversation and there was a family I talked to um for the book whose son had this experience and he was just kind of giving up because he'd been teased a couple times about his athleticism and his body and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And the conversation sounded like, "Hey, I get the feeling that you think that you are who you are and you can't ever change that and it will always be this way. And I want to talk to you about you having the ability to make some choices to make changes in your life. And so if you want to try a different sport, you can. And if you want to um, lift weights in the garage, we can make that happen. And if you want to just... reframe how you think about yourself, that's another change that you can make. So contain the problem might be in your kid's head. Mm-hmm. Let's contain how this is growing. It could also mean in the case of more dangerous examples, actually containing a kid, mm-hmm. you're not getting on technology because you're talking to strangers. Right. You're not going to that party because you're making bad choices. So that's uh, then the first step. That's the first step. Second step. Second step is resolve. So this is where when you've done your kind of initial field work, you've talked to your child, you've evaluated what's going on, you need to take some action, put that research into action. So resolve here, I'll give the example of the kid in the book again, that family brought in another adult to talk to the kid. And I'm not talking about a counselor, but they had a neighbor who was really respected and fun and was out all the time shooting baskets with other kids. And they said, can you spend a little time talking to our son about how he's feeling about himself? Because he doesn't really want to listen to us. You know, we're always saying he's (laughs) great. He doesn't care. Um, So that was a really nice mentorship. And they talked just a lot about body language like, mm-hmm. hey, ma'am, let me see those shoulders go back when you're standing up and talking to people. Little things that kids don't listen to their parents about. And after a little while, that child heard, oh, I can start to stand up straight. And then when you start presenting yourself a little differently, your peers start looking at you a little differently. And th- momentum started to build. And then there's evolve. And these parents handled it really well. What I don't want people to do is press on the bruise and keep going back to the child and saying like, Are you sure you're feeling better now? How have people been treating you? Do you feel like you have more confidence when you're walking down the hall? That's awful. That puts so much pressure on a child. So at a certain point, you have to say, we're going to see new things. We're not going to see that in our kid anymore.
4: We will be right back.
1: Don't go anywhere. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
3: May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy.
4: Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, cathartic, exhausting, or even exhilarating. But one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you will gain insights and uncover truths that you can only find in therapy.
3: Get those personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support by signing up for Talkspace.
4: At Talkspace.com, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours.
3: There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up child care in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy.
4: Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers.
3: To celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness.
4: To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Holderness to get $80 off your first month with code space eighty
3: and to show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Holderness with code SPACE80. What is the danger if, if you jump in, say, okay, my kid doesn't make the team and my instinct is to call the coach and to get him private lessons. And then you know, we're we're going to get him on the team, you know, like we're going to like over we're going to not let him experience this true setback. I'm going to you know, it's not fair. You were wronged. And then he magically ends up on the team. What is the danger of not letting our kids experience setbacks and failures?
2: So I'm not saying that it's like getting the kids some lessons or whatever it might be. That could be cool. Like if the kid wants to do it, great. But if it's really the parent who's saying, I am afraid of my child feeling hurt, I don't want to feel that vicariously. I don't know if they can handle feeling this kind of rejection. That's where the trouble lies. And the trouble is... We need to build resiliency and we need to build coping skills. Kids need to do that before they leave the nest, ideally, because problems get bigger and problems get harder to handle. And if we don't allow kids the opportunity to get comfortable with discomfort, they don't know how to do it later on. And then you can be really shattered by stuff that other people are like, no, I can handle this. I can cope. So I tell parents to think of it like exercise you need to tear and repair muscle to get stronger and emotionally kids need to do that too it can hurt it can be embarrassing and awkward you can you can feel all kinds of hard things but that's not a bad thing
4: i think one of the things maybe kim was referring to would be um you know your child fails you get through all of this they learn they evolve and i think instinctively what you want to see is motivation and like an an improved work ethic to get to where you want to be and so the question is is there harm to sort of jump-starting that work ethic or do they really need to come in and and internally motivate themselves?
2: So ultimately the goal is internal motivation. I can tell you that for middle schoolers, um, external motivation works really well. It's Mm -hmm. a great way to get kids to do things that they don't want to naturally do. And then eventually you might form a habit. So, you know, you might say, Hey, you've got to study extra hard for this test or, you know, need to do a little bit more, um, you know working out to make the team that sort of thing i think that that is totally reasonable yeah. but calling the coach <laughs> and mm-hmm. saying gee my kid works as hard as everybody else why didn't they get a spot on the team you're a terrible person probably not a great idea
4: well, can you talk more about the so are is it true that middle schoolers just have a little more trouble with internal motivation then
2: yeah they absolutely do um so and not all of them i mean i'm painting mm-hmm. with a pretty broad brush but at the start of adolescence Um, it's just not naturally there. You've got so much going on. You're changing body, you're changing brain, you're changing sense of self and who you are, that it's hard to reach down and figure out where the grit is. Um, And grit comes from experience, and it comes from other people believing that you can do hard things. So uh, initially, I think it's okay. Some parents, I would never bribe my kid, and I'm not going to use the word bribe. But I will say incentives, external incentives do work really well for kids who are younger. And then what, what happens is they start to care more and more about how their peers are doing. So a lot of parents will say, like, my son doesn't care about his grades at all. Mm-hmm. And then by the time that kid is in 10th ish grade and other boys are starting to care about their grades, suddenly that kid is like, oh, I'm looking around and seeing everybody start to care about their grades. I should, too. So it, it that sort of takes over naturally. Isn't it
3: <laughs> going back to what you said about having a neighbor or something say our, our, our children, I know, absorb so much of what a another adult will say and we are white noise to them white noise <laughs> or at least we think we are we think we are yeah. we th- I, I you are so right i i know that they are absorbing something but we are we are very lucky that our son has this really great basketball coach in his life and he but and so anything he says <laughs> it works better it, it just it is direct input output i mean it is great whereas we could say the same thing over and over again and it just never gets inputted. So I will, I will kind of emphasize exclamation point. What you said about getting another trustworthy adult in a child's life is, is, has worked well for us. I totally agree. Yeah.
4: Can I can I backpack on top of that though? I mean, sometimes you just have to try to, I don't want to say get something out of your child. You want to be able to communicate with your child and find out what's going on. Going back to the beginning of this process, it can be difficult getting what's really wrong with them out of them. And I think, um, we've struggled Mm -hmm. with that. I mean, I've struggled with, I remember struggling with that as a child as well. And I don't know that my parents, um, asked the right questions to get it out of me or if maybe they did and I just didn't budge, but in lieu of a great basketball coach or a mentor or a peer are there some good starting off questions, like a script that you would suggest when you sense that there's something wrong with your child and they may be dealing with the setback that could help move along that conversation? I can, I can
2: offer, yeah, I can offer some sort of do's and don'ts here. Okay. So um, I think that what works best is being really emotionally uninvested in your kid's oh. answer.
4: You so- mean like, oh, I'm cool.
3: <laughs> I can, I yeah. can, so I'm, I'm flipping
2: whatever, whatever
4: bro. We're just, we're just having a hang sesh. Yeah, so
3: just, exactly. I could good. give a shit. just yeah, do whatever. Right. Okay. So Just, exactly. just uh, no reaction yeah. to their answer, as hard as that well, may be. Well, you
2: want you what what kids don't want to feel is that their success, their emotional security, their popularity, their happiness at school is at all. Um, affecting you because that's a lot of pressure to feel like if i don't if i'm not doing well if i don't have someone to sit with at lunch or if i'm really struggling in this class and it's upsetting mm-hmm. my mom or my dad then this situation just became 10 times more emotional and harder for me to deal with but if they feel like you are neutral about it in the sense that you're like hey i'm on your team i want to help you let's talk about it you know i've got some ideas i'd love to hear your ideas not my heart is hurting because you're hurting. Right? Yeah. They do not want you to be
3: emotional about it. I don't know and, if
4: we do a great job at that. Or uh, I don't know if I do I, a great job. I at that.
3: have, I got that advice at some point from maybe from you on, a, on this podcast. And I have been really working on that because mm-hmm. I do see, I, I don't want my mom to struggle or be hurt. So I would be less likely to share something with her if I thought it would make her upset. So, Yeah, so I've been trying to have a more new, especially our daughters in high school. So sometimes I hear some things from the friend community that I'm like, that's not something I love to hear. But I'm like, huh how does that make you feel okay cool i'm totally cool i have no yes. reaction <laughs> then we close okay. the door and we're like what the
2: <laughs> but yeah. yeah that's what you two are for you're, you're that sounding board for each other but you yeah. uh, it's helpful i think to think as though you're having a conversation with an employee not your child mm. like you're not going to get overly emotional about it you do want to be helpful but you're going to be a little bit pragmatic and almost businesslike about it That sounds kind of robotic or false, but your child will find it comforting because they know that they don't have to bear your emotions on top of theirs. So so that's one big one is Mm -hmm. to try to remove emotion. Another thing that I think helps when you're trying to talk about these big issues with your kid is to schedule a time because you know what you want to say, right? And you have sort of clear thoughts around this. I want to have a discussion about X, Y, or Z, and I'm going to bring up these few points. Your child's going to feel like they're ambushed.
0: Mm-hmm. So well, that's it a great helps piece to
2: say, let's talk in the morning yeah. or whatever. And then
4: that gives them some time to, to think about what they're going to say. That's a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Like, why do we yeah, expect our kids to be perfectly eloquent when we approach or, them on our
3: time? Yeah. They need to be in the mental space for it too. That's very fair. Yeah. Because I could see, and I listen, our, right now we are very blessed that our kids' problems are minor. They're They're right now. And I know that changes. But I do have plenty of friends whose children are a little older and they, there is a, has, hasn't been going to class and they didn't even realize it, you know, discovered that they were drinking a ton at parties, like very serious. They fall into an archetype that they may not even know about. So to Penn's question, are there, is there a way to start that conversation besides saying, Hey, are you free after lunch tomorrow? Let's talk. How do you start those conversations to ask those hard questions?
2: I mean, the fact is you're you're probably not going to have a conversation in which your child says to you, oh, funny you should ask. I am actually drinking quite a bit, right? Correct. <laughs> They're going to keep that quiet. So um, I suspect that most parents who need to have those hard conversations about some of the things that you just mentioned, the skipping class and the, you know, the bigger issues, those are just going to land on your plate. Another parent's going to tell you or a uh, really rough thing is going to happen, you know, a trip to the hospital, who knows what. And suddenly you are going to be confronted with that. And that's when a parent's wheels are going to start spinning out of control. Like, what do I do? I am, I have been dropped into the middle of a crisis. Mm -hmm. So I think the best thing a parent can do in that situation, uh, your brain snowballs and you start thinking like, does it, is my child an addict? Are we going to have to deal with this for the rest of our, you know, all these lists that go on and on and on. Take a deep breath. Take a really deep breath and think of that list of everything you're afraid of. Write it down if you want and then just pick one of those things. What is the first thing I can take a little action on? Right? It's not knowing whether my child is an addict because there's no way I can know that after I find out they got blackout drunk at one party, right? Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to put that on a list for 5 months from now and I'm not going to think about it. What I need to be thinking about is this other fear that I have. So, take a list, an inventory of your fears, face one fear first, and then start moving on from there. Cause it's easy to get sort of blown over by everything happening all at once.
4: How often do you do a checkup? How often do you say, how you doing? What's going on? Is it every day? Is no. it uh, right? I wouldn't think so.
2: Yeah. I mean, it depends on what, if you're doing a kind of a generalized, Hey, I like you, I'd like to hear about your life. You can do that depending on the child. Like some kids are just verbal diarrhea every day they come home and tell you everything and some kids are like you're lucky if once a month
3: yeah
2: i mention the name of a child i go to school with yeah that's like that's they are, there's the kids we have yes yes <laughs> you're like i don't know who your friends are or who yes. your classmates are because they don't talk right yeah um so for those kids i think you need to kind of play at their level so whether that's every few weeks or mm-hmm. something like that you you're they're going to guide
3: you through that how do these setbacks like, you know, having trouble making friends, you know, bad report cards and even more serious, those setbacks in childhood, how does that translate to adulthood typically? Because my brain does go, you know, if I found out my kid was, you know, skipping class, getting a bad report card, I would sort of catastrophize that and be like, oh, they'll just, they'll be living with us until they're 40. They'll never get a job, like that sort of thing. But ultimately, how do you see it playing out for their adult lives? So in addition to talking to a lot of adults whose
2: kids were going through these types of failures in the book or setbacks, I talked with a lot of adults who had these kinds of experiences themselves as teens. And they are wonderful, thriving, (laughs) loving community members, great parents. So what I think is that The people who are successful adults now, who had these kinds of setbacks, whatever they may be, learned from them and grew from them and became more empathetic. There's a story in the book about um, a woman I know who was so cruel to her friend when they started middle school. She had a best friend, and then this woman got tagged to be in the popular group of girls, Mm. and she abandoned her lifelong best friend, who was so, so nice, in a pretty cruel way by writing her a letter that just said— Listen, we can't be friends anymore. Mm. That friend was devastated. And now as an adult, this woman I know is still hurting from having done that to someone else. And everyone I know who knows this woman would say she is the best friend anyone could have. She's the nicest person. She learned from that pain and is now like a super friend, right? So a lot of times when you go through these experiences, you end up turning that into your
3: superpower as an adult. That's at least what I have found through the research here. That's. i think there are going to be a lot of apparent, a lot of parents excited to hear that because our rational brain knows that right because looking back we weren't perfect we had our own setbacks we had certainly had our own failures and i think we're doing okay i mean they let us have microphones so i think we're doing okay
4: <laughs> i hope so i these conversations are always interesting to hear like that that's the part that I think most people don't think about, right? Like you're, a lot of people say you work on your weaknesses to, until they become your strengths. But usually like the emotional deficits, I always felt like those stayed with me forever. So it's nice to hear that maybe they don't <laughs> and they they can be flipped on their head if you do the right stuff.
3: What is what is the way in which, how can we properly model? Because we go through our, I mean, we're adults, setbacks don't stop when you're 18. So how can we model handling our own setbacks, failures for our kids? What sort of language should we be using?
2: I love this because I actually just read a study about, n- not specific to failures, but about mental health and how, you know, we all know like it, it can often travel in families. And sometimes when I, I It happened to be a post-pandemic study, and we all saw that, like, kids' depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. was rising because of the pandemic. No shock. Parents, too. Theirs was also spiking. Um, And one of the key findings of this study was that when parents talk openly and give their kids vocabulary around their mental health, using themselves as an example, it can be really helpful for kids. So for a parent to say... Oh, I have my therapist appointment this Monday, and I'm so glad because my anxiety feels really high. I don't know if you can tell, but I've been like a little bit more snappy, a okay. little bit, you know, more anxious lately. So I'm glad to go and talk to my therapist about this. Just being able to be a model for that is huge, and I think it applies to failure as well. So for us to say, "Ugh, I got a bad bit of feedback at work and my feelings are hurt and I just want to not go to work ever again. But I think I'm going to take a deep breath and binge watch the TV show. And tomorrow I'm going to make a plan and figure out what to do. And that's all you have to say.
4: I want to say I've noticed that in our family, our kids have been able to speak that language as far as self-care and mental health. Oh, so much better in the last few years. We've obviously been open about it. I think you've been open about it. And like, I'm congratulating you for that, for saying those things out loud. So your kids can feel like it's normal. I also just feel like in general, we're getting better as a society about normalizing and talking about it. I mean, it's amazing how much of a difference Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles had on my daughter's life.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so happy you said that. That
3: was incredible. Yeah, J- just I want it to be like to I'm going to the yeah. dentist.
2: Yeah, you know, and you, like just the same.
3: Yeah, yeah. To your point, I, just the fact that they were able at a high level to, and 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 you could call it a, a failure again. I don't, I don't know uh, if I align if I align with that word. It was with a were, setback. But it was you a, setback. Call it a setback. But but yeah, and they were like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it right now. And I have I've pointed to them so many times, especially with my very high achieving you know knows the grindstone daughter I'm like no you can actually you can actually step back you can actually chill out and come back it doesn't mean you're gone forever yeah and I want to point out because
2: you said the thing about not aligning with the word failure and I completely get that that there are a lot of examples in the book of things that feel in the moment to the parent like a failure like why is my child not speaking to us. Uh, this feels like a like a failure of communication, mm-hmm. or it feels like a failure to connect, or whatever it might be. Um, and what I'm really clear about in the very beginning is what is not a failure is ever a mental health issue. Yes. So any kind of mental health struggle or diagnosis, I, I would never call a failure. It might be perceived by the parents before they understand as a failure. Like, like, we're having a failure here to to get along, to communicate, to whatever, but that that is not in and of itself a failure. So I, I want every listener to hear that very clearly. Yeah. And at what point
3: are, you see a lot of red flags, at what point should they be reaching out for professional health, health? Oh, I, like health.
2: immediately all the time. Just kidding. I love professional help. I'm a big therapy fan.
3: No, same. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't. I mean, you don't have to worry that you need therapy when you're in crisis mode. I think it's great to get a therapist prior to feeling like things have hit the fan and you just want to have a good relationship with someone and someone you can learn good communication and coping skills from. So I am a big fan of, get a therapist today, why not? Yeah, just for funsies, I'm yes. a fan as well.
4: Thank God we've gotten to this point. I'm just going back to high school and if if I knew somebody who went to see a psychiatrist, I probably would have assumed that they were crazy. Like that was where oh, yeah. that was where I was as a high schooler and I'm so glad that it's been normalized. That's just the way, I, that's what I was
3: taught. Yeah, and I have to say, you know? I mean, there's so many of our, I mean, we normalize it, everybody, I mean, Honestly, if a therapist wanted just to set up a, like a little lemonade stand in our front yard, we could, just our family could yeah. keep them very busy. But just even at our kids' school, like our kids' friends have therapy. They like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be late today, I have to go to therapy. I mean, it's just like going to the dentist. Yeah. It's the most normal thing and I love it, I love it, I love it. Me too. Um, so I love to leave people with some action items are there convers besides buying your book, which we will link in the show notes, eight setbacks that can make a child make a child a success? Um, are there some action items and conversation starters that, that parents should have at dinner tonight with their kids?
2: Hmm. Okay, so I think a a really good conversation would be um, talking about what you think a failure is and what you think could what could what good could come out of a failure? So just sort of a generalized thing and t- two ways that parents can bring this up that I think are really interesting. Um, one is the exercise analogy. So you wanna tear and repair muscle to get stronger. That's really good. So like what's a way in which you feel like you sort of face planted maybe this mm-hmm. year and or over the summer or whatever, but you actually learned from it and, and things got better. I love that. Another analogy that I really like, and this one's um, for people who like plants and are gardeners, greenhouse keepers who grow plants, they take their little sweet, tender baby plants and they stick them out in the freezing cold for little amounts of time. And then they bring them back in and they do that increasingly longer. And it's called hardening off the plant. But a plant that never has any trouble, like never experiences what it's like to freeze for a minute and then come back in, will die when they put it out in the world. Mm. So they have to slowly acclimate it. So maybe having a discussion around that, like kids like to talk about other kids. (laughs) So like, do you know anyone who's not acclimating, who isn't getting any experience with sort of setbacks and that's sort of worrying? It's easier often to talk about someone else than to say, you tell me about you, kiddo.
3: Oh, okay,
4: I love this. Or we could get him into planting. We could use that in our backyard. We're not very good at That's that.
2: Right. We are
3: actually not very good at that. Um, okay, where can where can folks find more information about you and your books and all that good stuff? Terrific. So, I have a website. It's just my name, so it's michelle
2: with two L's and then Icard looks like I card, I C A R D.
3: Um, and then on Instagram, find me there. It's just my name, Michelle Icard. It is a joy to talk to you. Thank you so much and good luck with the the launch of your book. Thank you, can I tell you one
2: thing really quickly please. before we go? Yes, please. I loved you, loved you on The Amazing Race. Like, I really <laughs> knew you and liked you before, but like fell in love with you. And before you were even on The Amazing Race, do you know how at the end it's like produced, I guess, by Bertram Von Munster? Yes. yes, yes, yes. So that's our dog's name.
4: <laughs> Bertram or the Stop whole it. name of the whole dog? The full Bertram name?
3: Officially, it's Bertram Von Munster, but okay. it's we just call him Bert. Oh. Be- because of The Amazing Race? Yes. Because, because
4: so we met him. That he's, is Well, he, he is
3: obviously the producer of the show. Yeah. That's but, really but, but you
4: know, no, he's like the creator and producer. I think a lot of times yes. you expect a producer to be in like his Hollywood tower, not doing anything. That dude was like out with a camera. Um, no, I love it. At least before COVID, like the, for the first three legs, we saw him everywhere.
3: Well, I will also say his wife came up with the idea.
4: Elise, yeah. Elise. So Elise, yeah. If you get another dog, you got to name it Elise. because yes. And Elise. she was okay. she, she was a hundred percent everywhere too.
3: Well, he, absolutely, they're both wonderful. Yeah. But they, uh, he was the television producer and she was the one like wouldn't it be fun if you had teams of two and they raced around the world and they were just doing challenges because mm-hmm. she loved to travel and bertram was a photographer so cool. kind and of, like and they would just do yeah. you could learn about the area by doing challenges that were sort of and you could teach people about travel and
2: cultural cultural
3: and i know so you've watched the show for a while then
2: Oh, for a long time. And at the end of every episode, it's a gimmick in our house that my husband goes, Bertram von Munster, you've done it again.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I cannot wait to well, tell him we this. That <laughs> so thrilled that you on. We'll
4: shoot him so... a note and tell him that someone has named their dog after him. And that I think is, he'll be thrilled.
3: That is. Yes. A, okay. Well, well, I mean, honestly, the best way to experience setback and failure is to go in the amazing race. Oh, yes. <laughs> your, where your <laughs> failures are on display. You're
4: guaranteed to have at least...
3: I, well, I, I am. So reverse. I am very, um, I struggle with being called a perfectionist, but I'm Enneagram one. So I don't like to, I don't like to suck at things. And that mm-hmm. is, she also
4: didn't like being called an Enneagram one, which I, I love like. this. Appar- <laughs> apparently that's a common trait of an I don't Enneagram like one to
3: be called a perfectionist. Yeah, And so yeah, on that show you're doing, and you could, you're like, it doesn't matter, right? It's a game show. But then you're just sucking over and over again. And, you know, it's all who sucks I mean, less, right?
2: Yeah. It, it looks impossible. Every time we watch it, my husband and my daughter are like, oh, I do this
3: challenge. I do this challenge. Yeah.
2: Every single challenge, I'm like, oh, this one's not for me. No, <laughs>
3: not this one. I wouldn't no. do this. One. Like, well, we were, I you know, do it. We had always watched it, and then we we went back and watched it, everything, every episode again to sort of study. And we'd be like, yeah. okay, if you read just based on that, who would do it? And every time, I'd be like, that's that's you, babe. That's you. You got yes. it. Like, there's no one that I felt like I could do. So no, maybe a, maybe a little memorizing one
2: from the early years where you had to like memorize some objects or something. Yeah, I would volunteer for that. But all the rest of them. You and your husband should apply. You guys should apply. It would be my husband and my daughter. That really is their dream to apply. How old is
4: your daughter?
3: She's twenty three. Oh, She's you, a she lost yeah. school student. Oh, they yeah. they so do, love do love a parent child relationship.
2: They do. they do. They love. Yeah, that. we'll and tell Bertram.
3: <laughs> I, we will. If you, uh, you well, not like I have a lot of pull, but like they love a mother daughter, a father, a father daughter. Are you kidding me? Yeah, do Thank it. You.
4: And the little first bit is like, hi, I'm, and this is our dog Bertram. That's it. That's, that you're, that's in. Your, that's you're your, in. That's your. That's That's your audition right. tape. Yeah. Um,
3: okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that we made this about the Amazing Race. Anyhow, me too. Um, <laughs> It was good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. Thank you for talking with me.
1: Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right.